Okay, um, welcome again to Faith. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on staff here with Eric and some others. And it's good to have you with us on Pancakes and PJ Sunday. Uh, whether, again, you join us online, whether you're with us in the room here. If you're newer to Faith and you've been looking around, you're like, what is the deal with uh, the dress code at church today? Um, here's the deal. Uh, we've done this for a number of years. The Sunday in between Christmas and New Year's, uh, which is normally kind of um, just a low attendance Sunday, we said, okay, what, what can we do to take what is a low energy, low attendance kind of day and make it kind of fun and high energy? And this is what we landed at. And so hopefully if you got here early, you got plenty to eat and you uh, have bacon breath and your neighbor who you shared your town with knows that now and everybody's happy with that. Um, but here, here's the thing you need to understand about a Sunday like this. Today separates the wheat from the chaff. All right? If you, I mean, you were just here two days ago for Christmas Eve. I heard somebody tell me about, you know, I've got my Christmas hangover going. Um, and I was like, whatever, we'll leave that alone. And, um, and you're at church. You're faithfully watching online. You clearly love Jesus more than the people who couldn't bother to be here and get tuned in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. In fact, when you see a fellow congregant this week and they say to you, what you guys talk about at church? Straight face. You look them in the eye and you say, Pastor talked about why I'm more important to God than you are. You just drop the mic and you walk away, all right? So seriously, though, um, we are going to talk today a little bit about what makes a person important, valuable, or worthwhile, and we'll talk about it more seriously than that. Uh, but let's take a minute and pray, invite God to be part of this, and then we'll jump into things. Father, just again, we thank you for Christmas and just for time to reflect on you sending Jesus to the world. Uh, thank you for time for family, with family, with friends, and just with our church community. As we just take time to um, look at the person of Jesus and what he teaches us about ourselves and about life and how this works in his interactions with others. God, I pray you give us open hearts and open minds to truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So when I was um, preparing for this message, I came across an uh, older song by a, a, an older band called The Classic Crime. And the name of the song was Who Needs Air? And what they, what they did in this song is they, they make a point that we are forever being told that there are factors that we need in our lives like we need air itself. That there are certain things we need in life. Without them, we're going to drown. We need these things like we need oxygen. Now, the fun about a conversation like that is there can oftentimes be a degree of truth that you start with, a degree of legitimacy to the factor you're being pointed to. But as the conversation continues and as things get spun, what you're being told that you need like you need air, in the end, you really don't need like you need air. And oftentimes, your pursuit of that thing can become unhealthy and unhelpful to you. So, for example, 
Um, we're, we're told that as human beings, we have an inherent need to feel valued, to feel worthwhile, to feel important. And I, I would contend that that's, there's a degree of truth to that. that you, you don't find many people who on some level or another don't long to know they're important and worthwhile and valued. But then we'll be pointed to certain factors in life and told, you know, like, hey, you need to achieve. And you need to achieve at this kind of level in order to be valuable or worthwhile or important. And if you don't achieve at this level, you won't be any of those things. You need to achieve like you need air itself. Now, again, I don't have anything against achievement. I'm all for it. But this idea that you're going to achieve at this level and that is what's going to determine your value, your worth, your importance in life, I would contend that that's simply not true. And that achieving at that level is never going to meet that inherent need that you have inside of you to feel valued or worthwhile or important. So one of the things that, that I appreciated about this song by the classic crime is they, they get to the chorus and they sing, I'm drowning, but I don't care. Because when you've got what I've got, what I've got, who needs air? I don't need air. Now, for all the English majors, if you can get past the grammar, all right, <laughs> the point they're trying to make here is they have found something different than what their world is pushing. And while the world is screaming at them, you need what we're selling like you need oxygen itself. They have found something that can cause them to look back at their world and say, by your standards, I'm drowning. Yeah, but I simply don't care. Because when you have found what I have found, you don't need air. Now, what the classic crime is trying to communicate to us in a poetic kind of way, in his, in his biography from Jesus' life, Mark illustrates the same idea to us in an interaction that Jesus has with a man named Bartimaeus. So if, if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Mark 10. It'll be on the screens. You can open it up on your device, whatever makes you happy. The interaction goes like this. Then they reached Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man, cheer up, they said, come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his cloak, jumped up and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man, said, I want to see. Jesus said to him, go, your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see and follow Jesus down the road. Now, as Mark gets started here, what Mark is doing is he's painting for us a picture of contrast. He's going to point out to us things that are important. He's going to point out to us things that are unimportant. 
And, and as Mark begins, he, he does so by calling our attention to all of the different important elements in his story. Like he, he tells us, you know, that Jesus is making his way through Jericho. At that point in history, Jericho was an incredibly important place. Like it was important, it was like beautiful. Like you, you think of towns you're going to go to because it's like a touch of paradise to go there. That was Jericho. Jericho had all kinds of great, I mean, it's just all kinds of commerce going through the place. The economy was booming. You could make money hand over fist in Jericho. And because it was a beautiful place, because there was all kinds of economic opportunities, all kinds of people wanted to live there. So King Herod has a summer home there in, in Jericho. You have all kinds of priests who participate in the, in the functions of the temple. They live in Jericho and they, you know, they um, commute to Jerusalem, right? And so Jericho was a stronghold for traditional conservative Judaism in the first century. You know, Jericho is this incredibly important place. You think of somewhere in our country, everybody wants to vacation there because it's beautiful, there's money flowing into the place. You know, the, the, the Pope and the President have summer homes there, you know. That's Jericho. It's an important place. So Mark's like, hey, let me tell you about this important place. And then he moves on to important people. And it's not just political and religious leaders that are there in Jericho. Jesus is there. And at this point, like anybody who's not living under a rock has heard of Jesus. He's the teacher. This man teaches about Jesus like, or, or about God like no one's ever heard. When Jesus teaches about God, it is like God himself is speaking to you. Jesus is the miracle worker. Everybody's heard about how he makes the lame walk and the blind see and the deaf hear. He's said to raise the dead. And then Jesus is the rebel, constantly getting into it with the religious establishment. He's fighting with the, the, the conservative religious leaders. He's fighting with the liberal religious leaders. He's, he's getting into the ring and going toe-to-toe -to -toe with them on a regular basis. And there's so much animosity between Jesus and the religious leaders. He is the number one person on their list for people they want to see assume room temperature. He's a famous guy, but not everybody likes him. And so into Jericho comes Jesus. And with him comes this large crowd. And the large crowd is with Jesus because this is an important time. It's right before the Passover. Probably our, the most important religious holiday on the Jewish calendar is the Passover. All kinds of Jews, like if you were Jewish in the first century, it was expected you would make at least one pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover there. So you'd have these crowds of people you know, making these pilgrimages to Jerusalem in either safety and numbers so they would travel together. And they're heading there, we're going to celebrate Passover. And as they would make their way through a town, because faithfulness in Judaism was so important in the first century, when, when a group of pilgrims would go through your town, everybody would leave their home, they would line the streets and practically have a parade to cheer these folks on. Now, you probably did not have this happen this morning, right? Imagine getting up, right? You're driving to church, all your neighbors have lined the curb, and, and you're driving by, and they're like, yeah, sing loud, give big, take sermon notes for me, right? 
Anybody have that experience this morning? You know, just Fred Menko in the back there, right? It's like different world, different culture, but this is how it worked. And not only is it an important time for the Jews collectively, it's an important time for Jesus as an individual. He is going to Jerusalem for what he knows is going to be his last Passover. He knows he's going to die. And so he's trying to get himself ready for that. He's got his disciples he's got to get ready to hand over leadership of this new community, this new movement to. Like, this is it. So, you have Jesus. All his disciples. This massive crowd. They're making their way through Jericho. The atmosphere is electric. At the high point of the Jewish calendar, this young, audacious Galilean rabbi is making his way through the stronghold of conservative Judaism. Everybody's left their home. They've lined the streets. They're cheering him and the pilgrims and the disciples on. Everybody's just waiting to see. Like, is he going to perform a miracle? Is he going to teach something new? Is he going to get another fight with one of the priests in our town? Into Jericho, in this incredibly important city, at this incredibly important time, comes this incredibly important individual. And then, there's Bartimaeus. When Mark calls our attention then to Bartimaeus, he calls our attention to everything that's unimportant. For example, Bartimaeus is blind. In his world, that would have meant people thought one of two things about him. Either he is blind because he's committed some kind of sin and God is punishing him for that. Or he's blind because his parents committed some kind of sin and God's punishing his parents through him. Now, you may sit there and think, that's just sick. I would agree with you. But that's how people in Bartimaeus' world thought, and they would have thought less of him for it. Not only is Bartimaeus blind, but he's a beggar. Bartimaeus lives in a world where there are no government bailout checks funded by Biden bucks, right? There's, there's no disability check. There's no society for the blind. If Bartimaeus is going to squeak out some kind of living, it's because he is going to beg people to give him enough money to survive. He lives a humble existence, to say the least. By the standards of Bartimaeus' world, there is nothing important about this man. He's just a blind beggar despised by most of the populace sitting there hoping somebody will be generous to him. So into strategic Jericho comes celebrity Jesus at this most important time on the religious calendar. And sitting by the roadside begging is Bartimaeus. Now Bartimaeus gets a sense like Something's different today. There's a level of excitement. There's a, a, a level of anticipation. Folks are wound up in ways that they normally aren't. And so he starts asking people, like, hey, what's going on? What's different today? And people are like, what are you, blind? My bad. Um, 
Jesus is coming through town, right? And so Bartimaeus starts screaming, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In other words, Jesus, would you do for me what I've heard you've done for so many other people already? And as Bartimaeus is shouting this, NLT translates it this way. It says, uh, people told him to be quiet. Now it says they yelled at him to be quiet. Which is a nice way of letting you know this translation is telling you, people told Bartimaeus to shut up. Shut up, you deplorable sinner. Who are you to warrant the prophet's attention? Shut up. Up, you insignificant beggar. Who, who, who are you to intrude on his grand entrance? Shut up, you social inconvenience. Who are you to interrupt our gawking? Bartimaeus, there is nothing important about you. There never has been. There never will be. So just shut it. Now again, you may read this, you may hear this, and you may think that's sick. That, like, what is wrong with those people? And again, I would agree with you. But this is how Bartimaeus' world worked. If you are going to be important, if you're going to be valuable, if you're going to be worthwhile, there were certain standards you had to meet. Bartimaeus just didn't meet them. And the thing is, Bartimaeus' world isn't that radically different than ours? You may have sensed this about our world. You may have sensed our world saying to you, hey, there's certain things you've got to do. There's certain things you've got to be before we'll consider you valuable, worthwhile, or important. There's certain hoops you've got to get through. There's certain hurdles you've got to clear. Our world will very clearly communicate to the individuals who live in it. You'll be valuable when. You'll be important when. We'll consider you worthwhile when. When you're smart enough, when you're wealthy enough, when you're pretty enough, when you're successful enough, when you're talented enough, when you're thin enough, when you're funny enough. When you get the promotion, when you make the grade, when you drive the right car, when you wear the right clothes, when you've got enough wit and charm and good looks to dazzle us, then, and only then, will you be valuable, will you be worthwhile, will you be important. Then and only then will you be loved and will you be accepted. Now just stop and think. Have you ever bought into that kind of thinking with our world? Have you, ever, have you ever thought to yourself, I'll be important, I'll be worthwhile, I'll be valuable, when? And how do you fill in the blank here? How have you spent yourself chasing that blank? What kind of hurdles have you tried to get over? What kind of hoops have you tried to get through? Who have you tried desperately to become in an effort to 
fill in that blank. See, what is true of Bartimaeus' world, it's true of our world. And if you've ever been there trying to fill in that blank, our prayer this morning is that you would meet the Jesus who Bartimaeus met all those years ago in Jericho. And that you would understand that what Jesus is trying to communicate to Bartimaeus about this blank and how it gets filled in, what was true for Bartimaeus is true for you and me. So Bartimaeus' world is telling him, shut up. Just shut up. You haven't earned the right to call on Jesus. And the more they tell Bartimaeus to shut up, the louder he screams. It's, it's as though Bartimaeus is convinced Jesus is the only one who has what his soul is hungry for and the stuff his world is pushing isn't worth giving the time of day to. And so he screams all the louder. And while his world would seek to ignore, ignore him, Mark tells us that Jesus heard Bartimaeus. And while Bartimaeus' world would have walked on by, Mark tells us that Jesus stopped for Bartimaeus. And while Bartimaeus' world would have pushed him away, Mark tells us that Jesus asked him to come near. And while Bartimaeus' world wanted to know, what was Bartimaeus going to do to earn their love and acceptance? Mark tells us Jesus wants to know that, what, 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 what can I do for you? Now, stop and ask yourself, why in the world, in this incredibly important place, at this important time on the calendar, among all of these important people, with all these important tasks to get accomplished, why would Jesus stop and hear and invite and help blind, begging, unimportant Bartimaeus? I'll tell you why. It's because Jesus had a very different way of determining what made someone important than Bartimaeus' world did. And Jesus still has a radically different way of determining what makes you important than your world does. See, in the mind of Bartimaeus' world, Bartimaeus would be valuable, he'd be worthwhile, he would be important when. In the mind of Jesus, Bartimaeus was all of these things already. Jesus saw Bartimaeus as important and worthwhile and valuable simply because Bartimaeus was a child of God made in his image. That and that alone was all it took for Jesus to consider Bartimaeus important and valuable and worthwhile. That and that alone warranted Jesus stopping and listening and calling and helping Bartimaeus. He saw him as all of these things simply because he was a child of God made in his image. And what was true for Bartimaeus, it's true for you and me. Jesus sees you as valuable, as worthwhile, and as important simply because you are God's child made in his image. 
Your world is going to scream at you. You've got to do these things to earn our love and acceptance. Jesus loves you. Jesus accepts you. Not when. Already. Already. Your world's going to ask you to change so that you can earn it. Jesus sees you as all of these things. He loves and accepts you just as you are. Now, will Jesus ask you to change? You better believe he will. Anybody who tries to introduce you to a Jesus who will not ask you to change is not pointing you to the Jesus of the New Testament. But Jesus is not asking you to change so you can somehow earn his love and acceptance. He's asking you to change because he's got something better for you than what you've been settling for. Bartimaeus' world was like, listen, you've got to earn this. You want to be valuable. You want to be worthwhile. You've got to be important. You can be these things when. Jesus is saying, you're valuable. You're worthwhile. You're important simply because you are God's child made in his image. And I'm going to interact with you and treat you that way because you already are. So, in light of this interaction between Bartimaeus and Jesus, I want to just think about practical application for ourselves and for others. And we'll we'll start with ourselves and we'll just very simply go, okay, how do you see yourself? As you think about who you are and you you, you think about, you know, how do I approach these concepts of value and importance and what makes an individual worthwhile specifically myself? Like, how do you think about yourself? Have you ever been tempted to to fall into the world's way of thinking about this and find yourself thinking, okay, I'm going to be these things when? Like, again, How have you spent yourself chasing what you thought you needed to chase to fill in that blank? What's it going to take? What's it going to take to get you to see? You can't win at that game. No matter how many hurdles you clear, no matter how many hoops you jump through, like, the target's always moving. The, the list is always growing. Your world standard to fill in the blank is perfection. And you will destroy yourself chasing after that thing. What's it going to take to get you to see that what was true for Bartimaeus is true for you? Simply because you are God's child made in his image. You are valuable, you are worthwhile, you're important. You are loved and accepted. What's it going to take to get you to quit working so hard for the taskmaster of your world who will never be satisfied with you and to instead get you to live for an audience of one who's satisfied with you already? How do you see yourself? See, Jesus reached this point. Jesus sees Bartimaeus as all these things already. And and Bartimaeus, when he sees Jesus coming, he is convinced Jesus is the 
only one who has what he needs. What, what would it take to get us to cry out to Jesus with the kind of reckless abandonment that Bartimaeus did? How could our lives be different if the kind of energy we put into jumping through hoops and trying to clear hurdles for our world, if instead we put that kind of energy into seeking the face of Jesus? You see, if we will cry out to Jesus the way Bartimaeus did, for you, he will stop. He will listen. He will call you to himself. He will help you. How do you see yourself? Do you realize everything that Mark is trying to illustrate for us in, in, in his story here, what is true for Bartimaeus is true for you. And then secondly, how do we see others? When we see others, do we see them as important and worthwhile and valuable Simply, because this person's made in God's image. This is his child. Or in our thoughts, in our attitudes, in our words, in our actions, do we communicate to others, I'll love you, I'll accept you, when? If we were a people, cried out to Jesus as though nothing and no one else could satisfy our souls. If we were a people who would embrace the reality that simply because we are God's children made in His image, if we were a people who cared about Jesus' opinion and that opinion alone, we would be a people who really knew what it was to be loved and accepted. And the world around us would scream out to us, are you nuts? You're going to drown. You need what we're pushing like you need air itself. And we would be a people who could look back and smile and say, I'm drowning, but I don't care. Because when you've got what I've got, what I've got, who needs air? I don't need air. Would you pray with me, church? Father, thank you for Jesus. Father, thank you for who he shows himself to be and who he shows us to be in relationship to him. Father, just as we think about how we see ourselves, for those of us who are chasing after something that we think is going to fill in that blank that won't, Father, I just pray for your grace that we would see that and we would see it for what it is. And we would see that Jesus and Jesus alone is what our souls are hungry for. 
regardless of what our world is yelling at us, help us to cry out to Christ and to meet the Jesus who Bartimaeus met. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.